and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and uh, we'll start reading here in verse number 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, and with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, just a, a few more introductory type uh, comments this morning, and then uh, first here, and then we'll get into verse number one. By the way, it is very fascinating in reading a verse like verse number two. Under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are, and uh, that's a great testimony to the grace of God. And, and again, we last time uh, I gave you a, a brief outline, a little outline. You can outline this book a thousand ways to Sunday. Um, and uh, I have uh, an outline that I usually go, uh, chapters 1 to 6 is a section of rebuke. Chapter 7 to 16, it's a section on questions answered, Okay. You can get that simple. Last time I, I broke it down for you in three sections. The first four ver chapters is addressing, is that issue of thinking. And it's addressing the, the uh, area of carnal thinking. The, uh, they're not thinking properly. Chapter 5 through chapter 11, we're he's a uh, little one word, live. And that now is gonna, he's going to address the carnal lifestyle of the Corinthians. And then chapters 12 to 16, one word, labor. And he's going to ad address their carnal ministry activity. They're not doing things like, like they should be doing when it comes to the work of ministry. And that is resulting in uh, saints not being edified. So... When you come to this book, again, it's 16 chapters, 437 words, I'm sorry, 437 verses, 9,489 words. And again, you can you break it up how you are comfortable breaking it up. We're going to deal with it in really those three sections. Now, the issue of thinking, living, and labor, that, it, it, look over with me at Titus chapter 2. Titus 2. You can literally take all of Paul's epistles and you can break it up under think, live, and labor. Um, and the pattern is set here really for us in Titus 2. Uh, if you read verse 11, it's in verse 12, but verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that. So the grace of God is going to teach us something denying ungodliness and worldly lust, and here it is, we should live, say, soberly, so there's the clear thinking, clear-headedness, righteously, there's our lifestyle in the moment, and then godly, and there's our labor, our work of ministry uh, in this present world. So the grace of God is going to come along and begin to teach us, so as we go through Paul's epistles, we just spent, we started Romans in 2019, and we got done in 2023. What is that? Four years. All right, so we're going to speed it up in, for Corinthians. Wrong. <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. Maybe the Lord comes back before we're done, and we don't have to worry about the rest of it. But anyway, the thing of it is, is as you do, you can break it up in that think, live, and labor type mindset. Also, when we come in, and come back to 1 Corinthians uh, 1. When we come to 1 Corinthians, there are basically 10 areas that Paul is going to address. And again, you can read through 1 Corinthians and maybe find more. But these are the 10 big areas, if you will. Uh, I was, this past week, I was talking to a gentleman, and uh, we were talking about the 10 commandments, the law, 613 commandments. But what's the top 10? Say, well, the top 10 are the major categories. Here's the major headings, okay? The other 603 are the case law underneath it. So, thou shalt not steal. Well, that's a pretty broad statement. 
So what happens when you steal? Well, now we have case law. You chop the hand off. You do this. You do that. Different things. Thou shalt do no murder. Thou shalt not murder. Okay. Well, that's a broad statement because what if it's not murder but manslaughter? Well, now we've got that law. So you've got, and that's really what these ten areas are like. That here's just some big some areas that Paul will be addressing in the book. And again, as in all of his epistles. He's going to identify the problem and then give the solution, the remedy. So this is even in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians are book of reproof. He's going to be correcting and rebuking bad behavior. So in doing that, he's going to come in, here's the problem, and then here's how we're going to correct it. Galatians is bad doctrine. Again, we're going to identify the problem. And then we're going to, and here's how we remedy it, how we correct it. So the first area that Paul is going to address is in chapters 1 to 4. And it's a big section because of, it's the, he takes four chapters. So he takes some time to set the remedy in place because what the Corinthians had done is they had adopted human wisdom and ignored the truth of God's wisdom. So Paul's addressing the issue of human wisdom and what happens to you when you go by human wisdom. And what he's going to do is, is when you do that, by the way, guess what comes your way? Trouble, turmoil, tribulation. So trouble sets in. And if you think again about the culture of Corinth at the time, the Greek philosophers, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, the big boys, and, and everybody was, so the issue of human wisdom is going to literally be the underlining factor in all of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And what he's going to do here is when they're not operating under God's wisdom, they're operating under human wisdom, and he's going to come in and he's going to deal with that, answer it. And literally what Paul does is establishes that the root issue at Corinth is going to be this issue of they're, they're, they're not growing, they're not being stable, they're not moving forward, and it's because they've adopted human wisdom and not God's wisdom. And when you look around the church today, you see people that way. They're going after what the seminary taught them, versus what God's word teaches them. And so you've got this constant. So Paul here, he's going to, in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, he's going to establish the routine of here's the problem, here's the remedy. Here's the issue, here's the remedy. Here's the corrective doctrine. So I would hope that you would never say that Corinthians isn't doctrine. I know we do doctrine, reproof, and correction. It's corrective doctrine it's reproof doctrine it's going to come in now and it's going to change it's going to adjust your thinking if you're in any of these areas of concern then in chapter five come over to chapter five chapter the, the number two the next area chapter five if you look here at verse one it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So now he's going to address the area of immorality. Now it's, he's going to begin to look in at their lifestyle. And when we get over here, we'll spend a lot of time, we'll spend significant time looking at this and so forth of what's happening within the church at Corinth. And I, obviously... <laughs> I never, I never asked that question, okay, Paul, why did you write it? I go find out why he wrote it. Well, what tends to happen if you're not operating in Romans doctrine, what, tends, what can slip in? Immorality can slip in. And then when that happens, now how do we identify it and then how do we correct it? Come over to chapter 6, the third area, chapter 6. In chapter 6, uh, verse 1 to 8, He's now going to address the problem area of lawsuits. Verse 1, Dare any, uh, any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? 
And if the world be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the small? I mean, so there's an issue that's happening at Corinth where the saints are suing saints, and he's going to address it. He's going to identify it. He's going to, you shouldn't be carrying out legal action amongst the saints out in the world. It needs, it needs to be held within the confines of that local church. The fourth area starts in verse 9 down to the end of the chapter, and this area has to do with the, the area of defilement. And they, they are not utilizing, they're not, they're not operating, functioning properly in their lifestyle. They're not living life in a correct manner. So there's some defilement that's come in. And Paul, again, when we get here, we'll spend adequate time looking through this because it is something that even though you may say, I'm not doing that, well, <laughs> take heed lest you fall. Because one day it might be, and there's good information to have as, as, okay, I find myself in a situation here. How then now do I fix it and move along? So that's number four. Number five, chapter 7, verse 1. Now he's going to address the problem area of marriage. Verse 1, now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman, nevertheless to avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife. And let every woman have her own husband. And what verse 2 tells you is they're having a problem that we have today. And that is defining marriage. They've strayed from the biblical definition of marriage into something else. And Paul's bringing them back. So while they are beginning to ask him questions, 7-1 there, and he's going to begin to answer them, the area of concern now is a defining of marriage. Okay, and their, and their struggle at Corinth, and obviously you look around us today, guess what, they struggle the same way. Even within grace churches, they struggle. And you go, how could that be? Well, we're, I'm, we're showing you how, see. They're going, after some, they're going after a human idea, a human viewpoint, human wisdom, rather than maintaining the doctrine that they learn from God's word, God's wisdom. And, and, and it's not that you're... Uh, being uh, close, uh, you're excluding people. It's just we're going to stand with the truth, and here's what the truth says. So again, chapter five, it's a long chapter. I'm sorry, chapter seven, it's a long chapter. And by the way, in chapter seven, you have the issue of a saved and unsaved married situation. You have the situation of a divorce and remarriage. Because what does religion say? No, 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 can't do that. Can't be divorced and remarriage. Paul says, yeah, you can. It happens. And you've got to deal with it in grace, and you gotta un but you've got to be able to identify it and deal with it appropriately. And by the way, when Paul says it's you know, okay, he's not condoning the divorce, but life does happen. And when that happens, this is how you deal with it. He then talks about virgins and people who've never been married before and how that is to operate. So really chapter 7 becomes a big social because marriage is one of the building blocks of society. That's where the children come, the family comes, and there's the major building block of a culture, of a, of a nation, of a society, and so forth. Well, if we didn't start right, then this over here won't be right either. So we have to do that, okay? Uh, number next, uh, the sixth er area is three chapters again here, chapters 8, 9, and 10. And here he's going to deal with the problem area of our liberty. And, the, and in that, the abuse of our liberty, okay? And it takes three chapters to rebuke them and uh, give them the remedy because we all have liberty, and what Paul's going to do here is he's going to supply the corrective doctrine on the fact that, yes, you have liberty, but, but you don't always have to exercise that liberty. You have it. No one has the right to give up their liberty, but we do have the right to give up our, I'm sorry, but we do have the liberty to give up our rights. So when you hear people, well, I'm just going to have it because it, boom, then they're sitting in these chapters in their spiritual understanding. You, you hear people cry, victim, I'm a victim. No, you're, you're failing to understand some things here in Scripture when it comes to our liberty. 
And again, they, we are to have a right understanding, a right view of liberty, but really also of the use of it, the exercise of it. And great instruction here given to us in chapters 8, 9, and 10 concerning that, because obviously the Corinthians are doing what with it? <laughs> they're abusing it, and they're, they're using it for uh, ill-gotten Ill gain, if you will. All right, the seventh area is chapter 11. And this is the great Lord's Supper chapter, and everybody trips over and breaks their spiritual neck on. And literally what Paul's going to address here is the problem area of church conduct. The con their conduct, see, isn't appropriate when they come together in the local church. And he's going to say some things here that are happening. Here's some things that are happening when you guys get together and you need to knock it off. You need to correct it. And by the way, here's how you correct it. And he'll give that instruction to us. And then in chapters number 8, chapter 12, 13, and 14, again, three chapters. And what is he doing? He's addressing the problem area of uh, the abuse of the spiritual gifts. If you look at chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning gift, uh, spiritual gifts, Brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And that's the area of concern here is in the area of their work of ministry. Again, they're, they're con conducting ministry in an inappropriate manner. Okay, so Paul is going to, he's going to uh, demonstrate here in chapter 12, 13, and 14 that the Corinthians ultimately are not edifying the church. They're not doing, they're not practicing, they're not, they're not laboring correctly. And uh, they do have the spiritual gifts, those early uh, years of the, of the church, but they're just not edifying. So what Paul's going to do here is he's going to lay out, chapter 14, he's got seven rules that he lays out about the issues of the spiritual gifts, and, and he uses the speaking in tongues gift because that's the main gift that the Corinthians were abusing. And literally, and again, Paul's, he's not going to say you don't have them. He says you do have them. Now, we don't have these today, okay? All right? <laughs> but he says, and by the way, this can go to if you believe we do have them today, okay? That you can act... It, Paul says to the Corinthians, you've got these gifts and you are literally causing believers to not be edified, to not grow, to not be established. So if you believe we have the gifts today, guess what you're doing? Same thing, because the gifts have ceased. They've stopped. And that's what 12, 13, and 14 is going to help us understand, that when we look at the issues of the gifts they were given for a reason, Ephesians 4, till the timing element and all of that there. And they were actually there designed for the issue of edification. Uh, if you look over on your way to chapter 15, but stop in 14. 14 verse 3. But he that prophesieth, and again, verse 1, follow after charity and desire, and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may Prophesy, prophesying, preaching. Yea, here's what God said. What are you going to do, verse 3? But he that prophesies speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. See, they weren't doing that. They're speaking in tongues and doing all the other stuff. By the way, your scripture does what for you now? It's completed. Guess what does it do? Edification, exhortation, and comfort. It now does what the spiritual gifts were going to do. It is now, that's why Paul will say at the end of chapter 12, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. There's something that's going to last longer than the gifts. That's why in, second, in 1 Timothy 3, he'll say, if a man desires the office of the bishop, okay, we still need the offices and, and the leadership of the pastor and the teacher but we don't, it's not a gift. I'm not a gift to you, I'm sorry. Okay, <laughs> all right? It's a, it's a desire. It's something motivated inside. Why? Because that's where the word of God works, is inside of you. So he's going to deal with that, and we'll get over 
and uh, we'll spend about two years in those three chapters, <laughs> okay? Not on purpose. Then you come to area number nine, uh, chapter 15, and he's going to address the problem area here concerning the doctrine of, of the resurrection of the dead. And to, to believe it or not, people at Corinth were no longer believing that Christ died and was buried and rose again. They think he still was dead. And the reason behind that is the Greek philosophers refused to believe in the physical bodily resurrection of, of the dead. It had, again, human wisdom had penetrated down in. If you're at, 50, at 1 Corinthians 15, if you look at verse 12, now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? So they have come to the point, some of them have, not all of them, some of them have come to the idea that the physical bodily resurrection was, it was, was just a, a, a hocus-pocus thing and it wasn't real. So we're going to follow human viewpoint, human thinking, and not the wisdom of God. When the very resurrection, if they were grounded in Romans chapter 4, he was uh, raised for our justification. They would have known instantly that what do we need him to be? A living God, not a dead God. Okay, And he did do that. So again, we'll spend time. Chapter 15 is the, the longest passage in the, in the book. Uh, actually, I think it's the longest of all of Paul's chapters. It's 58 verses. So great amount of uh, interest and, and need to go through and to, and to look at the doctrines there. Then you come to number 10, which is chapter 16. And Paul is going to address the issue here. Really, it's not a problem, um, yeah. but it was at Corinth because they weren't doing it. And that is the issue of giving, uh, the financial support. Uh, specifically here, uh, if you look at 16.1, now concerning the collection for the saints... That's going to be the poor saints in Jerusalem. But the, the exhortation here by Paul, the corrective doctrine, is going to be applicable across the board when it talks about giving. What are we going to do? As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gathering when I come. Now, you know, everybody, when God prospers me, and they in, so you think about that, the phrasing there, okay? Now, God doesn't reach down and prosper you. You know how you understand that? Understanding chapter 12, 13, and 14. How's God working today? Through his word. I, when, I, when, I real, when I was a real estate appraiser back in the late 90s, early 2000s, well, I, up to 2008, I had a, a loan friend, a guy, a buddy I knew, and he was a loan officer, and he would tell me, oh, yeah, we're, we're winning the day. We're making money hand over fist. I'm like, yeah, look at the market, man. It's going nuts here. And then he introduced me to a realtor because he was beginning to do some uh, land speculating and so forth, and he needed a, he needed a broad scope of an appraisal and all this wonderful stuff. So we got to talk and find out the man was saved. And I said, wow, great, wonderful. So you know, hey, have you ever thought about the Apostle Paul? Oh, yeah, love Paul. Oh, you know, boom, boom, boom. And he, he didn't like Paul at all. He just liked some of the verses, you know. But, so, but he would make a comment about, hey, God's prospering me and, and, and so forth. And I said, how is God prospering you? And he's like, well, I, I, you know, closed on 10 this and did all this and I got a bonus and all. I said, that's not God prospering you. That's the market prospering you. Now, how God would prosper in that situation is he gave you the ability to be a good salesman and to close the deals and to do, see. But he didn't reach down and manipulate. What did he do? He says, here's where I'm working, and let this work in you as then you go into those positions. By the way, in 08, when the market crashed, I talked to him, and he was cursing God and doing what, you know, just... Well, you know, it's all fun. And I said, wait a minute. God prospers? Well, he gives and takes away. I'm like, dude, knock it off, would you? You know, let's talk about Paul again, you know. But the thing is, is that's running rampant out there. But where? In the church. See, 
Paul's going to deal with that, and he's going to lay out the guidelines concerning financial giving here and, and concerning things in that nature. So those are the ten, again, they're broad areas. Come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And you can probably find more and so forth if you use that uh, little uh, uh, acronym or, or phrase, now concerning, you see where he begins to change subjects and so forth and, uh, and so forth. So I'd like to get into verse 1 here a little bit with you and just kind of introduce some things here that we see in verse 1 that you kind of go, oh, here we go again, all about Apostle Paul. Well, yes, because even though we're very familiar of it, who knows who's watching at a later date and so forth, and who just, we need to be reminded of some things here. Verse 1, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. And you think about, I mean, again, we know Paul's our apostle, okay? 13 epistles, everyone starts with the word Paul. And again, that is the, the order of the epistle. It, it starts that way. An, an, an epistle is a, it's not a letter. It's a document, okay? And it's a document from teacher to student with the intent to be studied, written on, dissected, drilled down on, looked into greatly, okay? So, by the way, and, and a, letter, a letter can be an epistle, all right, but an epistle is never really a letter. Uh, they're two different things. Very, they're very similar. The epistle has an introductory, and in the introductory, it tells you who wrote it and by whose authority is the writing, and it identifies the issue. And then it tells you how we're going to fix it. That's exactly what the first of chapter one does here. Then there's the body of the document, and then there's a conclusion. And in Paul's conclusion. He always goes and gives a real life in shoe leather illustration of it. Usually he uses himself to do that. Okay? So when we begin here, there's some things here. I don't want to just read over it and, you know, and not talk here a little bit about how Paul, some things that Paul has said here. And again, I want to, us to be reminded um, or, if needed, to come to understand Paul's unique apostleship and ministry. And it starts there in verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, now watch, through the will of God. And it's very interesting. By the way, called. Okay, that brings you back in your mind to Romans 1. 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, comma, separated unto the... So he was called to be what? An apostle. Then he was separated unto. See? So, but in 1 Corinthians 1 here, it's called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. So the question now is, all right, why does he say it this way? Why does he say through the will of God? Why doesn't he say, again, if you look over at... Uh, if you look at Galatians 1, um, 2 Corinthians 1, 2 Corinthians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. See, not through the will of God, but by the will of God. See that? Galatians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who was raised. See, completely there, Ephesians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. See, Philippians 1, Paul and Silvanius, the servants of Jesus Christ, who all the saints, he doesn't even talk about being an apostle in that one. Colossians 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 1, doesn't talk about being an apostle, but he gives the introduction. 1 Timothy 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior. So you got different ways he starts. So in 1 Corinthians, why does he start with by saying, I'm the, an apostle through the will of God? Because that's very unique information here. And what's literally going to happen in the Corinthian books, in the Corinthian letters, because he's already written one. Here's number two. 
We got a third one and possibly a fourth one, okay? So at least three times he writes to them. And here in the scripture, in the canon, he says, through the will, because what's happening at Corinth is the same thing we see today in, in our age. So Solomon is true. There's nothing new under the sun. And that they are questioning, they are challenging Paul's apostleship. They're challenging his ministry. They're saying, Paul, you're not legitimate. See? And they're raised. So off the bat, what does he say? Hey, I'm called to be an apostle by, of Jesus Christ. How? Through the will of God. See? And Paul literally defends his apostleship almost literally in every epistle in some shape, way, or manner. So Paul is going to defend himself. I think really the only epistle he doesn't is Philemon. But then again, he does say some things about him being the apostle, <laughs> being the aged and so forth. So uh, come over to chapter 4. So as we start here, and Paul, again, he's our apostle. He's the apostle of the Gentiles. But more prominent in the book is that they're going to start questioning the legitimacy of his apostleship. When he says, I'm the apostle of the Gentiles, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles, I'm your apostle, because that's what he begins to say in the Acts record when he's in that synagogue reasoning. He talks to Sosthenes, he talks to Gaius, he talks to Crispus, he's establishing that church. He's telling them what? First thing is, I'm a new apostle here. I'm not one of the 12. I'm not one of that program. I'm over here. And they go, no, you're not. You've hijacked this. You're ripping Peter off. Peter's our guy. And literally, that's what's going to happen. And by the well, um, I get, we'll get there in just a minute. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Let a man so account of us. Okay? So Paul, Timothy, the, okay? as of the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Notice the language here. He's defending himself to the Corinthians. See that? Let a man so account of us. Accounting. Look into it. Make, ledger it out. Which It's real here. There's an element of opposition at the church at Corinth. And when we get over into chapter 10 and 11... And, and, and of 2 Corinthians, you see him. He starts identifying him, not by name, but by a he. He, then they say. And when some say this, and he's beginning, there's a opposition there. Verse 2, moreover, it is required in a stewards that a man be found faithful, but with me. See, it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self. You see, Paul says, we're looking at me, and I'm being judged of you. And it's a small thing. Paul doesn't worry about these guys at all judging him. He's not worried about, what did they say about me last night on Facebook? He don't care. Why? Well, look at his verse, response in verse 4. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is who? He, verse 5, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come. He knows the judgment seat of Christ is coming. He understands that. He understands that's the ultimate judgment for the believer. He's not worried about it. He says the real judge is the Lord, and we'll do that over there. You guys are judging me now. So Paul here in Corinth, he's going to conduct his ministry faithfully as the steward of the mysteries of God, and he's not going to be distracted. He's not going to be uh, dissuaded by the Corinthians coming along and trying to question and doubt and debate his legitimacy as the apostle of the Gentiles. That's going on, so he starts through the will of God, through... I'm not up here by myself, guys. I'm doing it this way. If you drop down to verse 16, watch what he says. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Isn't that interesting? 
Some are not following Paul. The only reason he has to say that is because some in the group there aren't doing what? Following Paul. What are they doing? They're off following Peter. They're off following Apollos. They're off following the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. See? They're not where they need to be. Come over to chapter 9. Chapter 9 and verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. Clearly here, am I not an apostle? You see, Paul's not confused about who he is. He's clear about who he is. But yet, what are they doing? They're, some of them, to ask the question, am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Now, he's going to really jump into that in chapter 15. Are not ye my work in the Lord? So you know what you see there? You see where they're questioning him. You're really not, you, you're not legitimate apostle, but also you really didn't see the Lord. You're making all this stuff up, see. And when you look around Christianity, you know, you got your Joseph Smiths, you got this, you got all this stuff going on, right? And what do people do? They're questioning it, and yet Paul has clearly demonstrated who he is. See, he's not worried about these guys, but there are people that have, they're questioning because the seeds of doubt have been planted at Corinth by individuals that are out, that have joined themselves with that pagan, corrupt human wisdom ideas out there. And they've, the result is rejecting Paul, rejecting God's word to them, rejecting his teaching, rejecting God's wisdom. And so what do they do? Yeah, that's what you say, <laughs> but we really know for sure you just came off the, you know, the turnip truck a few days ago, okay? And he gets into it. Now, look at verse 3. Well, verse 2, If I be not an apostle unto others, yet doubtless I am to you. For the seal of mine apostleship are ye in the Lord. See how he just, you want to know my apostleship? Just look around here. How'd you get saved? You got saved by my gospel, see? But if you're not grounded in Romans, you don't know that. You think you're saved by, you know, all, 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 all roads lead back to God idea. By the way, that's a Greek philosophy idea, okay? Verse 3, mine answer to them that do examine me in this. I love this. My answer to those that examine me, and that issue of examining... That is in the that, that's in the interrogation room of the, of, the, of the police station with the bright lights on you, see. That's what, he says, my answer, you guys are examining the legitimacy of my claim to be an apostle, and you guys are doing this, and you know what my answer is? My answer is, you're, my, you're the seal of it. You're the seal of mine apostleship. Look, just look. You didn't get this from Peter. In early Acts. You didn't get this from the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. You're my seal. See? And again, you hear it all you hear all of this today, and here's where they're at. Come over to chapter eleven. Here's his answer, verse one. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Second, second time he's said that now. You know, when you have disobedient children and you have to speak to them more than once, you've got a problem. Either you weren't clear enough or they're just stubborn enough. You've got to be able to identify. What's he doing with Corinth as babes? They're babies. They're carnal. So he's speaking it again. Second time. Some Again, some aren't following Paul. Who are they following? They're following Peter. Come back to chapter 1, just real quick. Chapter 1 and verse uh, 11 and 12. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are the house of Chloe, that there, be, there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Now it's interesting, those four sects, Okay, so when he says, I am of Paul, that's not a good thing, in, okay? They're not following Paul doctrinally. They're following Paul the man, okay? 
They've hitched up to him and his, him of who he is as, as a man. And we'll see this when we get down in there, okay? They do it out of loyalty. And sometimes loyalty can blind you to, to the details. But think about Apollos. Who was Apollos? He was eloquent in Scripture. In the, he was a smooth man. He, could, he was eloquent. And so they go for the, they, they go for, I like to call it, they go for the megachurch look. The, the smoothness rather than the doctrine. Now, think about Cephas. That's who? But that ain't Peter's name. That's his fleshly name. See? Cephas, Peter. So now where are we? Now we're back over in uh, the early Acts ministry. Now we're over in Acts where, where things are happening and we're in the little flock stuff and we're in Israel's program. See? Think about who Jesus Christ is in his earthly ministry. Great man. One Peter, great man. Apollos, great man. But I'll tell you what, if you follow Peter, if you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you know where you're following it, you're going into? You're going into trouble. You're going to end up not edified. Literally, if you preach the Gospels to people as their point of salvation, you're sending them to hell. Now, nothing against them. They're, again, good guys. And, and again, that's not a slight on the Lord. We're talking about his earthly ministry. So, and that's what they're doing. So Paul says what? Follow me. Why? Because some of you ain't following me. Some of you guys are over here following Jesus. You know, what would Jesus do? Let's go do that. Here you're following Peter. Uh, I almost called him Josephus. Cephas, okay. And then you're following Apollos over here, who, if you remember, he didn't have it all right, and Aquila and Priscilla got him up, and he's a benefit to, to Paul, by the way, in the ministry. Chapter 16 is clear. But what are they following? Not the doctrine. They're following the men. See, come over to chapter 14, chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. So what's happening here when he says through the will of, of God, he's, he, he's not, I, guys, there's a reason he uses that language, and that's because of the, 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 the questioning of him. Look at four, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, look at verse uh, 36. Do you see the what? With the question, my kids would get out of line. I'd say, what did you do? What are you doing? What are you thinking? What? You never ask them why, because you know why. What did you do? What? You see, it's that the, the idea there of the parent dealing with that little, that baby. See, chapter 3, verse 1, they're carnal. They're babes in Christ. What are you, What? Came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you? How, how did the word of God get to you guys? Did it come out of you? No. It did what? It came unto you. Who brought the, will, the word of God to you? Paul did. See? Verse 37. By the way, verse 36, that, the, the what there? What they're doing is they're, they're challenging the authority that God vested in the Apostle Paul. That causes them to challenge then the very message, the very content of his doctrine. And they're acting like they are the originating point of the doctrine. Because what does human wisdom say? You're the God. You're the man. You're, you're it. You're the supreme one. And that's where they're at. And Paul says, verse 37, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. That's a clear statement, isn't it? There's no, in, in, in light of, you guys are thinking you're the originating source of it. I'm the originating source because God's chosen through the will of God, to do something today, and I'm his apostle. Verse 38, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Now, we don't use that verse too much, and we ought to be using it a ton. But in the light of the context, Paul's ultimate answer to those that question his 
apostleship, his authority is what? Let them be ignorant. If they don't want to acknowledge the, my, my authority, my unique ministry message and so forth, then we just let them be, let them be ignorant. Turn them over. Let them go. I tell you what, if we adopted that, we'd have a lot less stress in our lives. Because some of you just need to be ignorant and go on. And you need to do that. Okay. Now, by the way, the context of 38 is the spiritual gifts, but also verse 37. <laughs> if you're going to be ignorant of what I wrote to you, and you're going to be ignorant because you're, you're not you're, you're, you're not allowing my authority to be the issue, then we're good to go. See, You see, in the end, they don't want Paul. They don't want a clear understanding of God's word. You know why? It holds them accountable. It holds all of us accountable. Oh, but Rick, I'm doing the verse. No, you're not. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to God. You're a liar. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Why? Because the verse is telling, do, and you're not doing it. Then you're not believing it. So Paul's ultimate answer here to those who, come over to Galatians 1, who do examine him and question his apostleship, challenging. You know what he says? I'm done with you. I'm washing my hands. You've got it. It's in writing. It's on you now. I've given the information. Whether you believe it or not and go live in it or not, it's on you. And guess what? The real judge will get you when it's time for the getting. <laughs> okay? And again, the judgment seat of Christ is not a bad day, you know, but that's the, the issue. So you got Galatians 1. Run back to 1 Corinthians 1. Let's just read one verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. So when Paul is going to write about his apostleship, there are those at Corinth who are struggling with it. So they challenge him. And uh, they challenge his claim to be. Now, if you look at Galatians 1.1, Paul, an apostle. Now, look at the parenthesis. Not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, Galatians follows the Corinthian books. So there's a progression here of, of doubt within the church about Paul's authority. We just looked through 1 Corinthians. I just kind of gave you the highlights. But then here in Galatians, what, notice how Paul says this. He doesn't say by the will of God, through the will of God. He says what? Not by man, not of man, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ. So he's, now he's, the, the situation is even going to get clearer here. And he was never called to be an apostle through or by a human agent, man. Well, what about, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. But where did Christ call Paul to be a, an apostle? Not from the earth in his humanity, but rather from the heavenly places far above in his, in his what? In his divinity and who he is as God the Son. See, so when, when Paul's apostleship was not the result of any human agent, any man, any man's school, any man's system, none of that. So that's no Peter, and that's no earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what do they want you to, what do they say about who Paul, Paul should have been the what? The 12th apostle. And he's legitimate because, and then they start, and Paul's going to, there's a clear statement here in Galatians 1.1. That his apostleship was not the result of man, but it was what? Through, 1 Corinthians 1.1, 1, 1, the will of God. Now, what Paul is doing in Galatians 1.1 1, 1 is he's making a historical, he's making a reference to an historical event that happened in Acts 1. 
So come to Acts 1. In defending his apostleship to the Corinthians, subsequently to the Galatians, and the reason we looked at Galatians 1 is because when we get into 2 Corinthians in 10 years, we'll, we'll see this guy who's following Paul causing trouble, and where did he show up? At Galatia, the churches of Galatia. So Paul has just dealt with this guy at Corinth, dealing with him, dealing with him, dealing with him, and or, if you want to say in the order of their writing, he's been dealing with the guy at Galatia, and the Corinthians caught the bug, too, about questioning the authority, and he's going to deal with them. So either way, he's here it is. And what Paul does is he brings them back, because what do they say at Corinth? Well, I'm a Peter. I follow Peter and Peter's ministry, and Peter's the guy. Peter, 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 you know, he's the man. And yet then when you come to Acts 1, they turn their nose up, and they say, see, this is a hijacked situation. It's not the real deal. It should have never happened this way. And what you have in Acts 1 is you have the historical event that Paul is going to use in defending his apostleship where he's going to demonstrate that his apostleship was only accomplished through the will of God, not by man, neither of man. See, Acts 1, in Acts chapter 1, you've got the, they spend the 40 days with the Lord in verse 3. They, they have their understanding opened. Uh, by the way, they're speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, that future kingdom that's ready to come. Uh, actually, in the Acts 1 to 8 period, the, the, the kingdom is literally offered to the nation of Israel through the little flock. It's, it's ready for them to happen. And Peter, so Peter knows some things here that he never knew before. Remember, it's Peter that says, what do we get? And the Lord said, in your, when you come back, what do we get? And he says, you're going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. That, that Peter didn't clue in to the significance of all of that at the moment. Now he has. Now he has his understanding open. If you look at verse 20, verse 20, by the way, verse 15, there are 120, all right? There's 120 men sitting here, all right? And Peter steps up to the plate, and he says, Men and brethren, verse 16, this scriptures must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. Now, you go read Psalms 41, and you know who you never read about? Judas. Well, how does he know it's talking about Judas? Well, who is he? What? He's Peter, and he's full of what? <laughs> he's full of the Holy Ghost. He's had his eyes opened by the Lord, and you know what Peter realizes? Peter realizes there's only 11 of us because what happened to Judas? He went, he threw the money down, he went outside, hung himself, killed himself. See? So we're only 11 and we need to be what? 12 because the kingdom's coming. So verse 20, as it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein and his bishopric let another take. And again, reference to Judas, Psalms 41, Psalm 69, Psalms 109. You pick it. It's all of them, by the way. Just So pick them all. Verse 21, watch, watch what Peter does now. All right, so what were the qualifications when the Lord picked the original 12? Who picked them? He did. Peter now, operating in the authority given to him from the Lord as the chief of the apostles, he steps up now and says, here's the qualifications on how we are going to pick number 12. All right, what are we going to do? Wherefore, of these men, the 120. So there's 120 of these guys. They have to, somebody in this group's got to meet the qualifications. Which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out, in and out among us. Okay. Qualification number one, who of you guys have been with us since the beginning? In and out, in and out. When the, okay? The crowd got smaller. Verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John, 
until that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. All right, who was here when he was baptized of John in the beginning? We got two out of 120. Just two guys. Okay? Now, where was the Apostle Paul during all that? Well, according to Acts 22, he's sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. He's over in the apostate nation. He was devising how to take care of the Lord and his followers. See, He's not here. So verse 23, and they appointed two, Joseph called uh, Barzabas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And notice, they prayed. See, now it's more than Peter. Now it's going to be a group thing. Two, when two or three are gathered, so now we got the now we have the quorum and we got everybody's input. They prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. So who's really doing the choosing? <laughs> the Lord and the Holy Spirit. That he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place, and they gave forth their lots. And the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. And I know what they do. Oh, see, they were gambling, so it's illegitimate because of lots. Well, then when you hear people say that, they have no understanding of what it is in Israel to cast lots. They did that all the time to make decisions. You can look it up in the Old Testament. Go read it, see. But what did they do? They prayed, see, and then here they go. So in the kingdom out there, that 12th apostle that's going to sit on the seat over there is going to be who? Matthias. He's going to take that rightful seat of his as the 12th of the tribe, of the, the 12 of the apostles sitting on the 12th throne, judging the 12 apostles. See. Again, this is why Paul vehemently defends in his apostleship. Why? Because... I'm not that. I'm this over here doing something new. Through the will of God. By the way, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, I was a blasphemer, and I persecuted the church, and I was injurious, and I wrecked havoc on the church. He was not a friend of the believing remnant. See. Again, they're... Peter and the guys are doing what they, by the way, he's numbered with the 11 of the apostles. Verse 4, and they, that's going to be the 12 apostles, were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Why? One accord. We got the 12 back. We got our number set. Now we're going to go. You come across there to in chapter 2 and verse, uh, oh, verse 14, but Peter standing up with the 11 and then add Peter. What do we get? 11 plus 1. We got 12. We got six. So now we're able, now they're able to go do that occupation ministry that was given to them by the Lord in his absence. So when you come back to 1 Corinthians 1, because time's up, so we'll have to pick up here. I got another eight pages here for you, okay? When he says through, the, we'll get them next week, through the will of God, Paul is, his, def, his wall of defense, his defense is, his defense is set. I'm not an, I'm an apostle, not by a man activity, Acts 1, I'm an apostle through the will of God, and that's where I'm getting my, my information. And you guys are questioning me. You're really questioning God's wisdom because it was his wisdom that said, I'm going to go do something else now. You follow that? So that's what, again, the language here shouldn't never be lost on us how he says things, all right? And again, Paul doesn't want us to, to, uh, to, to succumb to human wisdom. Human wisdom will say, you guys just follow Paul. You're Paul worshipers. You're, you're, you're hyper-dispensationalists. You're mad, you know, mad mid-axis, mad. You're always mad. You're, you know, and it's not at all. See. What are, 
We follow Paul because that's where the authority of God's wisdom sits. Okay? All right. Time to quit. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the look into it and the study of it. And as we begin this wonderful book here, well, I just hope that we catch the, uh, the, the tone and the tenor. That way we can be careful and we can examine ourselves and make sure that our thinking and our life and our labor are uh, appropriate for uh, the, the, the doctrine and the edification that should be in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. We'll see you.